Praise God. You know, we need a we need a fresh anointing from above. I like singing that song and looking to God. You know, it's looking to heaven and asking that heaven would would come down to earth in just a little measure. Right? We need a little measure of that. I think we were praying for that at our communion time. We need fresh oil from the throne. We need a touch from the throne. Um, in fact, I wanted to to kind of start off the message by looking at something that I, I, I were, it was written 2,000 years ago, but yet I think we're still looking for it to come to pass where, or we see that picture as something that's going to happen. Um, and it's something the Apostle John saw in vision form. And uh, I, I think it has yet to, to take place in the sense of what Jesus has yet to do in the last days. So in the vision, he sees the Lord sitting on the throne in heaven, and he sees uh, in his hand is a book, as it says in, in this chapter, but probably a scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals. And the, a mighty angel comes, and he asks a question to heaven. He says, who is able to open the seals so that this book could be read? And the reply is this. In, in Revelation 5 and verse 3, it says, No man in heaven, in earth, or under the earth is able to open the book or even to look thereon. Now, one thing we understand from Revelation is that these seals, they kind of get the ball rolling, right? Because when the seals happen, the, the events of the last days take place. And what's the ultimate culmination? It's God coming. It's God bringing total victory and establishing his kingdom on earth. You know, so when the, in, in one sense, we rejoice when we, when we understand, hey, these seals are taking place, even though calamity is coming and all that. But yet, we know the end of the matter. We just have to endure to the end, as Jesus said. And so, you know, the seals are, are something that it, a part of us as Christians look forward to because we know there's an expected end. But you know what John does when he hears that? It says, when I, when I heard that no one could open the seals, I wept much. He wept much. You know, I, and I think we would weep too if, if we thought no one could open those seals and bring an end to the reign of the enemy on earth and, and bring the reign of righteousness through Christ to come. Uh, We'd probably weep too if that's the impact we felt from that proclamation, but we know that's not the end of the story, right? Um, and I want to focus on the reply of this mighty angel, um, and this is in, in Revelation 5 and verse 5, and he says, uh, it says, one of the elders said unto me, weep not, don't, don't worry, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. Jesus, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He can open the seals through his mighty strength and power. You know, I can't help thinking, I know it's a, it's a natural book, but I can't think of C.S. Lewis and Aslan. I don't know if you've ever read those, but that's kind of when I think of the lion of Judah I just think of him tearing those those seals open and you know by his mighty strength and power 
that's the picture of Christ. He's, he is the Lion of Judah. He's coming as the King. But we have to ask ourselves a question. How did that power begin? He's the Lion. Where was the beginning of that power where He comes as the Lion to open the seals? Well, let's keep reading in Revelation, verse 6. It says, Behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which is the seven spirits of God sent forth into the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So here's a picture of the one who can tear open those seals as the lion, bring an end to the reign of the prince of this world and establish his kingdom. Well, in one sense, Christ has already won. He won on the cross, right? He obtained the keys of hell and death, um, but Christ is, is letting the, our enemy stick around just because he has a plan and a purpose for him. He still has, has a use for him for some things in the last days to bring judgment. You see, Jesus needs a prince at, with a kingdom to, to cause judgment to come upon him, uh, and so he has a use. But Christ is coming as a lion to defeat Satan. Yet we also know that that's the second time he came. He's coming. The first time, verse 6, he didn't come as a lion, did he? He came as the lamb to take away the sin of the world. And so we have this picture of Christ in two ways that seem kind of contradictory. How can someone be like a lamb, a cute little cuddly, defenseless, weak lamb, but also be a lion, the king of beasts, the strongest of all animals in the sense of no one really messes with them, right? And so I want to look at that with you of these, this kind of two aspects of Christ. He's the lion, but he's the lamb. And because they reveal to us what he's like, but, but also how we are to follow him, how we can meet with him and know him and how even what he wants to, to do in our lives as well, because we are, after all, called to be like him. Right? Isn't that our calling? We're not just called unto heaven. We're not just called to be saints. We're called to be like him. And you might say, well, what verse says we're actually called to be like him? Well, I'd like to look at you with, at you with Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24. Here's our, our calling. We, I think we'd all agree we want to be disciples of Jesus, right? And so here is Jesus saying, well, if we want to be disciples, this is our calling. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And I think we all would acknowledge none of us are above Jesus. He's the highest one. He's the, the exalted one. Only he can open those seals because he's the Lion of Judah. All right, so we, we understand that. But look at verse 25. However, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, for the servant to be like his master. And Jesus is telling us something really clear here. Our calling, even though we can't be at exactly as Jesus at the same level, but we are to be like him. We're to walk in that same pathway. We're to have similar characteristics as much as he can work in us in one lifetime anyway. That's our calling. 
we're to be disciples that reflect the image of our, of our master. It's impossible for us to be greater. We'll never shine as brightly, but it's enough. But, but, you know, he said, it's enough to be like me, to follow his example. And so in that same vein, we have to experience what it means to be like the lion and the lamb. Now, now we've mentioned that Jesus uh, is going to come as the lion, but before he came, he came as the lamb. You know, the seals are broken by the lion, but in one sense, he can do that because he came as the lamb. And we just celebrated the Christmas season of Christ coming to earth uh, as a child. He was raised up in order to be offered as a sacrifice. And of course, one of the primary sacrifices in Israel was a lamb, a little lamb. Even in the Old Testament, it says you can offer a lamb for a house, a lamb for a multitude, so to speak, of a whole household. And you know, when John the Baptist first beheld Jesus, he proclaimed to everyone in John 129, he said, look, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't, be, he didn't say, behold the lion of Judah. He said, behold the lamb. Now, I think there are some people who would like to have heard, behold the lion of Judah who's come to conquer and scatter his enemies before him. But you know, he could have done that so easily in the natural. Just like he said, he, he told his disciples, I can call legions of angels to come and defeat my natural enemies. But that's not the victory that we need. He needed to defeat Satan and hell and death by becoming the lamb. I was going to switch this monitor off. It keeps, keeps making noise. There. One last pop. All right. And so the first thing we understand is that the lamb was that principal sacrifice and Jesus became our lamb, our sacrifice. He made atonement for our sin once and all, meaning that his sacrifice, he took the punishment of our sin upon himself so that we could enter heaven. Thank God the Father looks at us when we are in right relationship and, and we ask for the blood to cover us and forgiveness and cleansing. The Father only sees the blood of Christ upon us. You know, Jesus accomplished much the first time he came to earth. Now, many people thought he would come as the lion to conquer, and he did bring a, bring a victory, but it was different than they were expecting. And so because of that, they, they didn't follow him. But, but in that thought of the lamb, we kind of have that inescapable theme of humility, don't we? That's a lamb. A lamb does not proclaim itself to be anything but a lamb, right? No one takes a lamb seriously in that respect. If it tried to roar as a lion, it would be cute because <laughs> it's a lamb. But it's that thought of humility. Jesus doesn't come into a palace. Although, I, you know, I've, I think I've often mentioned about the geography of Israel that Herod built a magnificent palace that was only a few miles from Bethlehem. And I wonder if people looked at that palace and said, that's where the Messiah is going to be born. I don't know how they got explained like the, the bloodline of Herod because Jesus wasn't coming through Herod's bloodline. I don't know how they, they thought that was come to pass, but perhaps they were looking to the palace. But instead, 
he came into that manger and he was born in that humble place. He was only celebrated by the shepherds, the ones who, and the wise men, we looked at that, and the ones who understood the times and the seasons. But he came and he submitted himself to the plan of his father. You know, we can see that, that picture of Jesus in Isaiah's prophecy. And here's where we, we see all that he did for us in, in that prophetic word in Isaiah 53 and verse 6. We could turn there. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep, and we're, we're the sheep who go astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You know, Christ came as that little lamb that it was just led to be become the sacrifice. He didn't come proclaiming his own greatness or magnifying himself. Instead, he magnified the plan of his heavenly father. He put that first in his life, and that's where the victory came. You know, and really that's the struggle of a disciple, isn't it? It's, you know, a good disciple says, My master is the one to follow. The bad disciple says, oh, Master's a good guy, but his way is too hard. <laughs> he won't be a disciple very long that way. Right, to, so you know, the, the, the disciple looks to the master, absorbs everything they say and does and put it into practice in their life. And, but the thing is, you have to put aside your own way because you're, you're taking on the way of the master. You know, the disciples often displayed this desire in their life for greatness, right? And you, and you kind of read and sometimes you chuckle after the fact because we're, we're looking back. We know the end of the story. And you see those disciples, they were just, you know, looking to see who was greater. And, you know, and, but we know that it was before they had the salvation experience. They couldn't, their eyes weren't open to see in the kingdom of God. Jesus would kind of, test them on it. You need to have more faith. But they, their eyes were often on the natural and they would look to who was greater. They wanted to be seen as important and so forth in the eyes of others. But then Jesus said this to them in Matthew 23, verse 11. He said, he that is greatest among you should be your servant. And whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. But he that humbles himself, really, it's he that walks in the way of the Lamb. That's the one that'll be exalted. And so in the way of God's kingdom, it's the Lamb that has to come first, then the lion. It's the humility and then the greatness in God. That's the way of Christ. It's the Lamb. We, we say the lion and the Lamb because that's kind of how the order it comes in Revelation. But we know in, in, in Christ's coming, he came as the lamb, and then he's coming again as the lion. One of the characteristics that it says about Christ as the lamb, it said he opened not his mouth. Now, it's not that a lamb wouldn't give those cute little noises. I'm not going to try and imitate a lamb. 
but you know, they give cute little noises, but it's, it's the thought that Jesus, he opened not his mouth to seek his own way. He didn't make any protests. He didn't try to defend himself. He submitted his life on the altar to his father, just like a lamb, you know, couldn't, can't do anything, but just be that sacrifice. He became that for us. Something else we see in, in Isaiah 53, we're looking back in, in verse 7, Isaiah 53, 7, it says, and we read this, he was oppressed and afflicted. He opened on his mouth. He was led. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Here's another characteristic of the lamb. We all like sheep. What do we do? We go astray. We go our own way. And of course, then we got to come back and say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, help me to walk in the right way. And it's hard because for us, the grass truly does seem greener right over there. And we go over there and then the Lord has to, he's the good shepherd, of course. He goes out and finds us and brings us back and, and everything. You know, but it says he was led. He was led. And that's also to be one of our primary goals as believers, isn't it? Is we are called to become those who are led by the Spirit of God. To be led day by day, to hear his voice, to live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? I wish he answered right back. But we know that that sometimes it happens and God's just gracious, but we can't hold him to that. Sometimes he says, you need to pray and keep on praying. Knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. I think I got the order wrong on those, but and you, get the, you get the drift. Is that, you know, we're persistent because we want to be people who are led by the Spirit of God for every decision that, is important to him. Some, some decisions aren't important to him. What brand of toothpaste you use is not really important to him. You know, if you want to ask the Lord, you know, maybe he'll share that with you, but, but what kind of relationships you have with people, where you go, you know, and those kind of things. Lord, I want to do your will. Show me, lead me. That's the way of the lamb because he was the lamb who was led. He was led to death. But you know what? God wants to lead us to death. Not eternal death, but eternal life. But in order to do that, there has to be a death that takes place. And I say that as a, you know, as a disciple, right? Because Jesus also said, if you want to be a disciple, take up your cross, which is that implement of death, and follow me. Let me lead you like a lamb to the slaughter. And what is it? It's a slaughter of our way, our thoughts, our will. But if we'll yield as a lamb to that, oh, what victory came afterwards, right? Because that's, that's how Christ rose up and he's now the lion of Judah. There's another uh, passage in Revelation I wanted to just look at with you. And it seems like I've been mentioning this group a lot, but uh, this is a group I, I just want to keep my eyes on and say, Lord, I want to be there. It's Revelation 14. Um, you know, that it, it seems looking at Le Revelation, it seems appropriate to remember this group of 144,000 believers standing on heavenly Mount Zion. 
You know, they're described as those who are redeemed. They're the first fruits among men. They, they haven't been defiled in their mouth, has found no guile. They could sing a song in heaven that others don't know because of their walk with God. And it represents the experiences they had in life as they obeyed God. But there's one phrase that it says of them. If you've heard many sermons, you've probably heard me say this phrase a lot. But it, it, it seems very relevant to our message today. It's in Revelation 14, 4, verse 4. It says, uh, this group standing on Mount Zion, they weren't defiled with women, they're virgins. It says uh, that these are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They followed the Lamb. Wherever he went, they went. If, if God was going there, if he was leading them there, if he was calling them there, and that's what the shepherds in Israel do. They'd walk before the sheep and call them and say, come on, sheep, let's go. And they'd follow him. My sheep know my voice. All right, that, that's another sermon, right, of going from the lamb to the, to the sheep who knows his voice. But we got to that, have that heart of a lamb that's willing to die first. But that group on the mountain in heaven, they followed the lamb wherever he went, wherever he led them, whether it was a mountaintop or a valley or down into the desert. We like one out of three of those places usually. One of the greatest prophets of the Lord. In fact, Jesus said there's none great, born of women that's greater. Had a ministry in the desert. He wore rough clothing. His diet wasn't too exciting. You know, locusts and honey. That was John the Baptist, of course. But he walked in the way of the Lamb, didn't he? He just said he wanted to prepare the way for the Lord to come. He was preparing the way for the Lamb, but also for the lion. Because he's coming again in the last days, too, and he's going to prepare. Well, he prepared the way for the Lamb, and he'll prepare the way for the lion, too. But he walked in the way of the Lamb, that place of humility, he, how would you like to have a ministry in the desert? That's where you're, you know, nope, not in the city, not, not in the nice, nice comfy places, but out in the desert. And you're going to trust God to bring people to you out in the desert. That doesn't sound like a good game plan for, for ministry or, you know, for trying to get people to hear the word of the Lord. But yet he was willing to walk in the way of the Lamb. And he submitted to that. But of course, we know the outcome, right? He just started to preach, prepare the way of the Lord. Bring down the mountains. Yeah, bring down the mountains. Fill in the valleys. Make a straight pathway. Make a highway for God in your life. But you know, he had an anointing upon him that even though he was way out in the desert, it drew people far and wide. Even the unsaved heathen Roman soldiers couldn't help but come and listen to him and say, what do we need to do? And he told them. He had an anointing that captivated the hearts of the whole nation, so much that the, the Jewish leaders from the top to the bottom were afraid to say one single word against him. I don't know how Herod had the, the, the ability to, you know, or the timidity, you could say, to try and put him to death. I'm surprised there wasn't a insurrection because of that but the leaders were afraid to even speak about against him after they were he was dead 
That's how God used him and moved in his life. But it was because he first walked in the way of the Lamb. Now, one, another characteristic of the Lamb is that they're not very strong, right? I mean, you can kind of pick a Lamb up, even if it doesn't want to go there. You can pick it up. You can put it. You see, often see pictures of shepherds, you know, with a lamb over, over their head. They're walking along. Whether the lamb wants to be there or not is irrelevant because it doesn't have much of a choice. It's just a cute little weak animal. And sometimes you can take it where it doesn't want to go. Sometimes you take it where it wants to go. But a, a lamb doesn't really have strength to resist. It's just taken. Now, in one sense, that's a good picture of how we need to be with the Lord. We're like that lamb, but he gives us a choice. He gives us a choice. He doesn't just take us where we don't want to go. He says, follow me and I'll, I'll lead you. And if we say, yes, Lord, he'll lead us on. But it's a good picture of how we need to be with the Lord and how we have to cry out, Lord, make me like that lamb that doesn't have strength to resist what you're saying, how you're leading. Because a lot of times there are things that are very strong in our lives that have strength to resist the work of God, the work of His Spirit. And that's what we need dealt with. That's what we need taken to the cross. You know, the cross really is, it doesn't kill us in that sense because Christ was still alive on the cross, right? And so when something's on the cross, it's not fully dead. That's not going to die until we pass over into glory. But what the cross does, it takes away the strength of that old nature in us to resist. That's how we really become the lamb. The Apostle Paul had a situation where he had a weakness in his natural body. And he asked God, and here's the Apostle Paul. He's asked God for some pretty great things, and God's done some pretty marvelous things. So you think, saying, Lord, would you heal whatever this is that Scripture doesn't specify? We kind of have an idea it might have been something to do with his eyes, but we don't know. He said three times, Lord, would you take this away? God didn't say yes. In fact, he, he responded, no, I'm not, I don't want to take this away. And this was what Paul uh, shared about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God responded to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And what does that mean? My grace is sufficient for you to keep enduring. <laughs> I'm not going to heal you because I'm doing a work in you. I'm using this. And, and, and it's kind of funny how a natural weakness that God brings and he allows to continue can do a work in our hearts, also of weakness, but it's a weakness to work in our character, in our nature, to make our old nature weak within us as we surrender and submit to God. That's not a, necessarily a nice thing to hear, that we need to let God bring things into our life, but yet he doesn't just leave us there because he said, unto, he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. See, he gives us grace to endure to overcome and to conquer. But here's why. Paul says this, Therefore most gladly, oh, so I left that the important part out, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength can be perfected and raised up in us 
through our weakness, weakness in our old nature. Therefore, most gladly will I boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I take pleasure in those infirmities, in those struggles, in those times of pain, in reproach, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. Of course, that's the main thing. We don't want it to be because of our stubbornness or you know, those kind of things that we suffer for, but for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I can become strong in Christ. I'm, I'm adding, not adding to scripture, but I think that's what he means there. To be strong in Christ. doesn't matter how strong we are in the natural. It's how strong we are in Christ. My strength is made perfect in weakness for when I am weak, then I'm strong. That's such a profound statement. But the application is very specific. God wants to bring weakness in us in those areas that would resist Him, that would resist the leading of His Spirit so that those areas are, are taken away and all that's left is the Lamb. The Lamb that can just be taken wherever it needs to go. When we become weak in ourselves, weak in our resistance and our self-reliance, and we begin to rely upon, upon God, then we are truly strong. We can struggle with that, though, can't we? That is the struggle of life. That is our, the difficulty we'd have. The world says it's foolishness, right, to deny ourselves things that... Um, and that kind of weakness and, and so forth. But again, Paul has some wise words for us. In 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 25, he says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then verse 27, he says, But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. You see, if we will allow that weakness, so to speak, that God wants to work in, in us, it will put to shame the, the mighty things, the great things of this world that would want to shame us for following Christ. Yeah, but as we follow his way, his way will make us wiser. His way will make us stronger. Even though we might experience the shame that comes from this world because following Christ is foolishness to the world. But it will enable us to follow the lamb wherever he leads us. You know, Sarah was sharing a story with me. Uh, I was just talking about this message and she was reminded of a time when she was in a worship service and we were singing the, the chorus, uh, come let us worship and bow down. Um, and part of that song goes, and we are just the sheep of his hand. And she was, when she sang that, she started kind of saying to the Lord, Lord, we're just, we're just sheep. We're so weak. You know, we're, we're, we're so easily where uh, we don't have strength, you know, what can we do for you as, as sheep? But then in that moment, the Lord responded to her and he said, but I was the lamb. I was the lamb. And meaning that, that he submitted to the weaknesses of life. 
he submitted to the working and the will of his father. And he was led by his father, you know, and sometimes we can struggle because of our weaknesses. It's like, I'm never going to overcome or limitations. God has us in such a narrow place or, you know, you know, us being weak and seeking God and so forth. And we can struggle with that. But, but, you know, we can be encouraged in that Jesus is saying, you know, I walked as the lamb. I submitted to all of these areas that my father worked in in my life. He experienced the weakness that life, that deals with life. He submitted to the way of the lamb. But in that, he found great strength to overcome and to conquer. You might think, well, that was Jesus, right? He was the son of God. I mean, he, of course, he could walk in the way of the lamb of overcome. But, you know, we see this example in the very next group, and I'm, I'm going to end on this, but, you know, his disciples. He went to heaven and he left his disciples there. It's interesting how Jesus chose 12 disciples from the least likely group you could pick in Israel of who should be disciples of the Messiah. He didn't go to Jerusalem and pick the choice people from the rabbinic schools and the universities and the high, you know, high-born Jews. He went to the unlearned fishermen up in Galilee and he said, follow me. And in one sense, the most unlikely and weakest candidates, so to speak, they were socially inferior. They were looked down upon. But, you know, the Lord said, these are good candidates. But you know why? Because they can walk in the way of the Lamb. They realize they're weak and they, ha- they, they don't have what it takes. God could use them. They recognize their limitations and he could work in them and transform them into lions. And that's how they became as apostles for Christ and, and were used by him. And the thought I want to leave us with is that the way to victory, the way to strength and greatness is God's kingdom, in God's kingdom is found in following Christ's pathway as the lamb, the lamb of God. The one who opened not his mouth, the one who didn't seek his own way, the one who submitted to the will of his father to do his will. He submitted to the low pathway in his life. He allowed God to work in him. But ultimately, it was to become the strongest one in all of history, in all of the universe, because he found strength in his father. I mean, he was, he was, all of that was taken away when he came to earth but then he received it all again as he walked as the lamb with his father. He found strength in him. And so, and so as we become weak in ourselves, we can find true strength in Christ. And perhaps one day we can stand on that mountain in heavenly Mount Zion. Maybe we can sing songs that only a few will know because they followed the lamb wherever he went in life. And if we know that song in this life, we'll know it for all eternity. Let's follow the lamb wherever he leads us. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you that he came to this earth as the lamb of God and he took away all the sins of the world. Lord, we pray that 
you would even come afresh and work in us. Lord, we recognize areas that need to change in us and Lord, areas that are strong that need to be made weak and areas that are weak that need to be made strong. We invite you to come, Holy Spirit, and lead us in your way. Oh, Lord, make us like the lamb. Do that work, oh God, that, that we can be become low like you, that we can be lifted up and exalted with you. Oh, Lord, work in us so that we can one day be with the one who is called the lion of the tribe of Judah, we ask. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, God bless you.